Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. So I want you to turn with me in the Word to 2 Chronicles 20. This is one of my favourite passages in the Bible, has been since I was young. I'm actually going to read 23 verses today. (gasps) But you know what? Stay with me because there's so much in this little passage. And be praying for me. There's a lot of names. There's a lot of things for me to get through, but we got this. Verse 1, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, set his face to seek the Lord, proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Don't you love that title? Abraham, your friend. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house and Cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. Verse 10. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. Underline this next phrase, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, just like this morning, their wives and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. 
And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. We are going to look to the screens for a few minutes, but I just wanted to issue a warning that there are some scenes of war in this and some weapons. And if that's disturbing to anybody, you can just close your eyes for the next few minutes. But let's check out this video. You know, that woman leading worship in the end of that clip there, singing Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. She's pregnant. And she was about to take her other children and leave that country, flee with her children while her husband stayed behind to fight. And in the midst of that, she lifts up a song of worship and praise to God. Here we see a people worshipping in the midst of warfare. And in our passage today, we actually see the same thing. You know, to man, that might seem illogical. To the enemy, that might seem illogical. But it's powerful because worship is a weapon that confuses our enemy. Worship is a powerful weapon that confuses our enemy. You know that when we choose to worship God, despite what is coming against us, we choose to do something that Satan did not and could not do. Let's talk about that for a moment. Satan was known as Lucifer. He was an archangel in God's throne room. He had an original assignment. And his assignment was to be in the throne room of heaven. His being was iridescent. His name meant light bearer. And his role in the throne room of heaven was to wear a breastplate that had 12 stones, a prophetic symbol of the 12 tribes to come. He had within his being, historians tell us, the very ability to create all the sounds of the instruments of worship. How epic is that? And his role was to see God's glory, to catch it and to reflect it out to humanity and creation with the sound of worship. He was the original worship leader. But we know that was his original assignment. But in John 10.10, 10, what is his assignment today? To steal, to kill and to destroy. So what happened in the middle? How does his assignment changed? Well, he led a revolt amongst the angels. He wanted to receive the worship that was intended for God for himself. And pride entered his heart. And as a result, his assignment changed. And we now have Satan and demons no longer in the presence of our king. Pride destroyed his calling and it changed his assignment. Here's the thing. Pride and worship cannot go together. 
Because worship is the laying down of our pride. Having pride in our hearts, and it happens to all of us, right? The Word says the heart is deceitful above all things. Pride creeps in and we don't even know it sometimes. But having pride in our hearts can actually change our assignment in life. Ray Hughes, the granddaddy of worship, says, if pride turns angels into demons, guess what it can do to you and me? So when we give our worship to God, when Satan is working hard to steal, kill and destroy from you, it is a weapon that confuses him, it disorients him and it wounds him in a way that other weapons do not because he has always wanted your worship. So since the beginning of time, there has been a war for our worship. Now, in the context of our passage that we took the time to read the whole thing today, we've got Jehoshaphat not winning the lottery with his name, but winning the lottery with his heart. (laughs) He was a very young king. He was new in his ruling. He was only about 35 years old, but he had a heart for God. And so early into his reign, he was actually making judicial and religious reform. And it was very pleasing to God what he did. And yet, he finds himself faced with a coalition of three nations, outnumbering his army, completely overwhelming. Why is this important? Because sometimes we can still be living right and yet face overwhelming opposition. Have you noticed that? And when that happens, we're actually faced with the same choice that Jehoshaphat was faced with. Can we still exercise our faith and worship despite what our eyes see? What does Jehoshaphat do when he's faced with these overwhelming odds? In verse 3, we read that he was afraid. I love that that's included. It's okay to be afraid. That has no moral value in and of itself. What moral value is assigned to is what we do when we are afraid. Despite his fear, Jehoshaphat set his face, he sought the Lord, he called a fast, and he got the church together. I love that. It talks about how there was the men, the women, the kids, the little ones. Everyone got together. Jehoshaphat was like, this is quite overwhelming, but what do I need? I need church. I need everyone together. And then when everyone was gathered... He begins to pray. I love what his prayer teaches us because he doesn't go straight to God for reals. There's a lot going on here. Be really good if you acted. Instead, he praises. He says, Oh Lord, God of our fathers, you are God in heaven. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might. What was he doing? He was giving us a perfect example of what Psalm 100 verse 4 tells us to do. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. In the passage, verse 5, we read that Jehoshaphat was actually standing at the edge of the new courts. And so he lifts up his praise and thanksgiving to God before he presents his requests, knowing that what he was doing was building his faith for the future based on what God had done for him in the past. Do you know that when we don't bring praise and thanksgiving, that it would be like if you came to church and you stayed out on the footpath, you never came in the front doors, you never came in the entry here, and you could hear the worship going on in here, 
And God's manifest presence is here, but you've stayed out on the footpath. In the spiritual realm, the way you come in close and personal, which Jesus has done everything so we can, is through praise and thanksgiving. It's how we enter the inner courts. So it takes us from like the footpath outside right up in here into His presence. You know, I have people ask me all the time, why do we sing those two praise songs at the start every week? I'm like, oh, so you can find a car park. <laughs> Kidding. It's not even so we can warm up when it's cold in winter. What are we helping you do? We're leading you into his gates and into his courts with praise so that you can encounter his manifest presence. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that's the warm up for the real stuff. It is powerful. And when we aren't here for it, and when we don't enter in by it, we may as well worship out on the footpath because there's an order to the way that God teaches us to worship and to access His presence. God's desire is not that we would do long distance relationship with Him. If the heart of every worshipper is meant to capture God's glory and reflect it to the world around us, we are more effective the closer we are to the light source. There's an Old Testament word for praise. I'm aware that it means different things in different languages, but in Hebrew, in the Bible, it's the word halal. And it means to praise by listing out and celebrating, often with claps and shouts, the positive attributes or actions of God in your life. That's what Jehoshaphat did. It's actually what we're inviting you to do at the end of a song. You know that moment where we assume, oh, the worship leader doesn't know what to say, and they say, come on, let's clap our hands and bring a shout of praise. They haven't run out of things to say. What they're doing is inviting us to live victoriously by listing out who God has been to us. We're not golf clapping the band. We're not golf clapping the Lord. We're not approving or disapproving of the song. We are lifting up claps and shouts of praise and estimating how good God is to us. That's a time for us to lift our voice and say, you are faithful. Forget everybody else who is around us and say, you have been good to me. You came through for me this way. And you watch what happens in the atmosphere. You see the enemy, he has a little strategy that I like to call destruction by distraction. Anyone else ever get distracted in worship? Destruction by distraction. Here's the thing, what we fix our eyes on will determine the outcome. This is why verse 12 of our passage is so important. It's like the pivot point of this whole account. Jehoshaphat says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I've noticed that pride cannot admit, I don't know what to do. We don't access the wisdom of God if pride is residing in our hearts. We're like, actually, I know everything. It's humility that comes into God's presence and says, I'm fixing my eyes on you because I don't know what to do. Pride fixes its eyes on self. Worship fixes our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's just what Jehoshaphat did. Think about Peter, good old Peter. In Matthew 14, the disciples are in a boat crossing a lake. Jesus has gone up to pray and be with the Father. And they find themselves in a storm. And the word says that they were actually terrified because of the storm around them. And then they see what they think is a ghost come walking on the water to them, but it's actually Jesus. And Peter says, Jesus, if that is you, 
Then command me to get out of the boat and walk on the water to you. Jesus says one word, come. So Peter, looking at Jesus, takes a step out of the boat. And while his eyes are fixed on Jesus, he walks on water. The word makes it very clear that when his focus shifts to the wind, he begins to sink. You see, this is a principle we see in our passage today, as well as in this New Testament life of Peter. What we fix our eyes on will determine the outcome. Do you know that worship in its simplest form, the most simple definition I could give you is revelation and response. Therefore, if you've got a healthy revelation of who God is, a fresh one, today's manner, you're going to have fresh worship to offer to God. I want to talk to the people who are like, worship is hard for me at the moment. I've been there. But if worship is hard for you, can I encourage you? Don't try harder, look longer. The breakthrough from your worship will come not in trying to conjure something up, but by fixing your eyes on Him, receiving a fresh revelation of who He is, and then worship will be your natural response. You know what? We're spending our time looking at too many other things. We got to spend our time looking at the face of our Savior and responding. I love that when Jehoshaphat brings all of Judah together, there's praising, there's praying, they've been fasting, they've got their eyes fixed on God. It's like a mini revival conference vibes right there. And it's there that the prophetic word comes. And what I love about this is that the prophetic word comes through Jehaziel. Verse 14 goes to great lengths in very difficult names to focus on who Jehaziel was. Why? Because he was not known as a prophet. He was a singer. The prophetic word of the Lord came through a Levite from the worship team. How cool is that? And he, he prophesied, do not be afraid for the battle is not yours but God's. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm and hold your position. It echoes, it prophesies to Ephesians 6, which three times talks about the armour of God in our battle, spiritual warfare. It says, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. In other words, sometimes it's enough to just hold the line and to lift a song of worship and allow God to act on our behalf. Their response to the prophetic word was Jehoshaphat fell down on his face And all of Judah fell down with him. The word for worship here, when they were worshipping the Lord on their face, is the word hawa. It means to bow down in honour and reverence for greatness. This position of bowing in worship was to posture the body in such a way that their logic, their mind... What their eyes could see in the natural was actually positioned below their hearts, which connected with God in worship. You know, there comes a point in every believer's life where it's going to take a step of faith to lift worship, where we have to put our logic and our thinking and our understanding and our trying to work it all out below our heart and connect with God in worship. We see in verse 18 to 19, I love this bit, that as Jehoshaphat and everyone was bowing down on their face, the worship team, the Levites, guess what they did? They jumped up 
And the word says they started to praise and make a very loud noise. Think about when the family's together. Everyone's on their face experiencing God's presence. And then the pesky little worship team gets up making a whole bunch of noise. Can't you just imagine Cousin Johnny up the back? They're like, oh, why do they always have to be so loud? Can't they just calm down for a little while? You know what? According to Scripture, shout to God all the earth. When all the earth shouts to God, pretty noisy. It even says dance and play the drums. That's in the Bible. It's not new, it's Bible. And in the family of God, there are times for us to be silent in God's presence. And there are times for us to make a whole lot of noise for Jesus. Both are biblical. Both are expressions of worship. None more valuable than the other part of a well-rounded worship life. You know, I've, dis- I've discovered the heart of God loves a persevering worshipper who when overwhelmed by troubles, lives more overwhelmed by the goodness, the faithfulness, the majesty and the power of God. You see what man finds illogical, God actually finds irresistible. What does Jehoshaphat do? He takes God at his word. You're not going to need to fight. And then he sends the singers out at the head of the army. I love our singers, love them. But I've got to be honest, if I'm like going to be touting with someone, if I'm facing warfare with someone, I'm looking for the biggest, buffest guy in this room. I'm like, you, you can go in front of me. But no, Jehoshaphat trusted the word of God that they would not. Who was it? Who's the biggest, buffest guy? Jai, amen. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, he can sing too. (laughs) But because he trusted God's word that he would not need to fight, He could set the singers out with a song first. What did they sing? Verse 21, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Wasn't a new song. It was a song that was sung underneath the ministry, kingship of David, then sung under Solomon and now being sung here again. It was a well-known song. Would be like us going out and singing shout to the Lord. Everyone knows the song. I bet you amongst that many people, there had to be one or two who was like, what? I don't even like that song. You mean today we're going to go out into war and we're going to sing that song? We've been singing it for decades. Give me a break. But you know what? I've learned that when it comes to worship, it's not about my likes and my dislikes. There are times I have to stand up here and lead worship And I don't necessarily love the song, but because we're prayed up and we believe that God wants to give us the the supernatural wisdom and revelation to know what he wants his bride confessing doesn't actually matter if I like the song or not. Because worship is about his likes and his dislikes. It's about his preferences. Worship is our ministry to God. It's not about what we can get. It's about what we can give. You might get in the process, but worship is all about giving glory to God because He is worthy. The Word says as a result of sing and shout to the Lord, sorry, give thanks to the Lord, that the enemy, the coalition turned on one another in confusion. Why? Because worship always confuses our enemy. 
Have you ever wondered how many of your enemies have been ambushed on your behalf as you worshipped here in this auditorium? We may never know what God has defeated on our behalf as we've simply lifted up a song. Here's a more sobering thought. We may never know what we could have prevented if we had entered in, fixed our eyes and lifted up a song of faith. Maybe today it seems completely illogical to you to lift up a song because you're like, but Stacey, you haven't heard me sing. Like it's, it's pretty average. Be encouraged, freed by the word of God today. We're not up here assessing whether or not you can sing. We're up here to lead you into an awakening of the freedom and the victory you have in Christ. And the Bible says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. You just make noise, that's enough. We're not rating and either is God. Sorry, can't actually move for you because that third note was a little bit sharp. That's not our God. He's looking at your heart posture that doesn't care about what the world says is good or bad or excellent, but worries about what God says is excellent. And he says, bring me your worship. I think of Paul and Silas in Acts 16. They were beaten, thrown in a dark cell, restrained. And here we find them not complaining, they're praying and they're singing. It's illogical, right? Who thinks to do that in prison? I'm sure the other prisoners was like pretty illogical, but to God, it was completely irresistible. In the New Testament, one of the word that, words that is used the most to describe worship or for the word worship is proskuneo. It's used in John 4 describing the kind of worship the Father is looking for, which side note means there's a kind of worship he's not looking for. The kind of worship he is looking for, proskuneo, means to kiss towards. Have you ever tried to kiss someone from a distance? It gets super awkward. I don't reckon, I've never tried it either, but I imagine it would be super awkward. Jesus has done everything that is necessary so that we can come right up and kiss towards him. It's an intimate expression of worship. There's shouts, there's claps, there's laying on our face, there's kissing towards, it's all worship. And as Paul and Silas began to pray and to sing, I don't think they thought, if I just pray and sing this song, then there'll be an earthquake. No, they just loved God. They just kissed towards him. They said, if I've got nothing else and all I've got is a song that I can raise to my God, I'm going to do it no matter where I am. And God's power was pulled down into their prison cell. They were set free. Everybody else around them was set free. You know, no matter what you are locked up in today, I don't know what's coming against you. Worship or a song may just be your weapon. It's not the bit that we count down until we get to the word. It's victory in your life when we can step out in faith. I've also noticed that worship makes room for the miraculous intervention of God in our lives. And we need it. It was a song in our passage that moved the heart of God to intervene. It was prayer and a song in Acts 16 that moved the heart of God to respond and set people free. Now, you all know by now I am all about worshipping your whole life, your Romans 12, 1 to 2 life. It's everything we do. It's both and, not either or. But sometimes I think we go around quoting Romans 12, 1, 2 
And in the process, we actually diminish the power of a song. It is Bible that singing a song, whether you're good at singing or not, is a powerful weapon of warfare. And I don't know how you feel about worship today, but I want to ask you, have you ever considered that your breakthrough could be on the other side of you simply singing a song? Have you ever considered that your worship could bring breakthrough to other people in the family? So what happened in Acts 16, it was the singers out at the front of the army in 2 Chronicles that brought breakthrough for all of Judah. It was Paul and Silas alone, not really thinking about everyone else around them, fixing their eyes on Jesus, singing and praying, and everyone got set free. This is why we do prayer and worship together. We open our altars and we say, come if you need prayer today. Come if you want more of God. That's not, a chance, that's not an opportunity for the rest of us to self-destruct through distraction. By watching what's happening here, you can build the atmosphere. Your song could set the brother free down here. Your song could set the sister over here free. Who knows what God is doing as we lift a song of praise and worship. If that's hard to wrap our head around, it's straight Bible. What we contribute to the atmosphere in this room as people are being ministered to can lovingly set them free. And that's the goal, that people get freed up, learn to live in their victory in Christ and then go out into the world with a gospel message on their lips. You know, there is a reason that the barren woman was commanded to sing. Isaiah 54, verse 1, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labour. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Now, this passage is a metaphor, but let's press into it for a moment. The barren woman is being commanded to put rooms and space in her house for a baby she does not yet hold. Her arms are empty and God says to her, Build an extra room on your house in faith that it's going to be filled. The metaphor is this, sing while you wait for the promise. Sing while you wait for the breakthrough. For too long, church, COVID has stolen our song. It's time for us to put the weapon of worship back on our lips as a church. I understand it's been hard. We're all feeling it, but I only say this to you today. Maybe parts of this have seemed really harsh, but I am saying this because my prayer for you is breakthrough and victory in your life, that you would live in the fullness of the freedom that Christ has for you. And we find it often when we lift a song of faith. I know this because of my own life. There've been many times I haven't wanted to sing, Many times I've stood right there backstage, disqualified myself. Who am I to be leading? I can barely lift a song for myself. 
And it's in those moments that the Holy Spirit comes close. Stacey, have you got a song? Do you trust me beyond what your eyes can see? I remember 19 years old, just been through a church split, hurtful. Things were said about my parents and my family that were rough and I went to a dark place. I did not want to hear the voice of God anymore because the church split was over a prophetic word. When you've heard God's voice all your life and you try and shut it off because it causes damage, it's a dark place to live. So for two years, I ran from God. I wanted nothing to do with His church. I didn't trust people who said they loved me because many people had told our family they loved us. They stopped talking to us overnight. Anybody else ever been hurt in church or am I the only one? Two years later, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit calling me back. Stacy, can you go to your keyboard? Will you still sing to me? Forget everyone else. Will you still sing to me? So while no one else was looking, I sat at my keyboard and I sang my coming back to God. I'll never be the same again. I could never return because I've closed the door and I will walk the path and I will run the race. Yes, I will never be the same again. It's me and Jesus. Lifting a song of faith. I didn't know what it was doing. A few years later, second miscarriage. Barren woman. Laying on the couch in our lounge room. See pictures of a premature baby on a screen. That would have been the age of the first child we lost. And I was weeping. God, it doesn't seem fair. I was aching on the inside. I was aching in my heart. The Holy Spirit came close, Stacy. Can you sing, O barren woman? Went to my piano, nobody watching. You give and take away. You give and take away My heart will choose to say Lord, blessed be your name I'm not even sure I believed it at the time. Something was happening in the spiritual realm. Years later, four little babies, six and under, feeling completely overwhelmed by motherhood, feeling unseen, hidden away, not sure if I was really making a difference in anybody's life and the Holy Spirit came close, Stacy. If these four lives, the only lives you ever lead in worship again, will that be enough for you? So I took my three little boys, my girl, I sat them around my piano stool, I taught them how to raise their hands and I taught them to sing. God, I look to you and I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things I could do. God, I look to you 
give me wisdom You know just what to do Was all I had God snatched it up started moving in the unseen First year of COVID we get a phone call I've just told my kids can you just give me five minutes peace and get out of the house (laughs) Yep that was me phone call on my phone. Your son's been hit, hit head on by a car going 60 k's on his bike. He's been taken to the hospital. You need to come straight away. Sitting beside him in the hospital, covered in blood, awaiting surgery on hand, foot, other areas that I'll protect his privacy. He looks at me, says, Mama, I'm going to be Okay. And the Lord says to me, Stacey, can you sing over him? We weren't in a private room. Three other people behind sheets, thin sheets. They've never seemed thinner than right in that moment. I lay my hands on my boy's head. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. Well, just one look at the Saviour Is life more abundant and free? Son, just look up Your help is on the way So turn, turn your eyes upon Jesus Come look full, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. Oh, as we turn, we turn our eyes upon. Opened my eyes, he was asleep. Three other little rooms, sheets opened. (laughs) Who knows what God was doing? Last year, recording another online church service. (laughs) Driving in here, God, I'm tired. Is this what ministry looks like? I don't know I wanna do it anymore. So close to walking away. I haven't seen my church that I love. I don't wanna lead again to an empty room. You have to help, Lord. I don't wanna lift a song, God. And I hear the Holy Spirit come close. See their faces, you guys, the people you love, who you've seen go through seasons of life. I stand up here every week. I see the weeks it's been hard for you. I see the weeks you're on a mountaintop. It's one of the greatest privileges of my life. Can you lift a song for them, Stacey? Can you sing on their behalf? So come on, my soul. Now don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lines. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, stand with me. Let's sing. Come on, my soul. Oh, come. Don't you get shy on me, I've got your soul. 
all worth it. It was all worth it for this moment to hear the church that I love lifting up. Come on, my soul, don't you get shy on me. Church, God's message for Numa Church today, don't you get shy on me when it comes to worship. It's a new season and it's a new day. And it's time for God's church to rise up once again and to put a song on their lips, to speak to their soul and say, I am going to bless the Lord. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.